Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hello. Hello. Who are you? Sasha. How old are you? Six. How do you know me? Because you're my mom. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and this is my daughter Sasha's first time being interviewed on the show. She's very excited. And I'm bringing her on today to tell you about her favorite book. It's a graphic novel called El Defo. Tell the people what happens in the entire book. She's whispering, it's really long. She's right, it is. It's 233 pages. Do the, do the highlights. Do the best parts. First, she throws up on the couch. Next, they go to the hospital. And then she goes kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. And here's her teacher's peeing. The throw up, the hospital, the peeing, this will all make a lot more sense once we get into today's interview. But basically, El Defo is a story about a kid growing up, a deaf kid named Cece Bell. Is Cece Bell a real person? Yes. How do you know? Because you saw her. I did. My name is Cece Bell, and I am an author and an illustrator of books for children. Totally amazing. I got the chance to interview my daughter's favorite author. Now, lots of kids love El Defo. Adults too. It won a Newbery honor last year. El Defo is a graphic novel, so you know, words and pictures. And amazingly, Cece figured out visual ways of showing what it's like to lose your hearing. Sometimes there will be word bubbles full of nonsense, or the words will be fading when Cece's hearing aid batteries are dying. The book is based on Cece's childhood. She lost her hearing when she was very young, just four and a half. Now, there are lots of ways that people think about their own deafness. Some people think of it as a disability, and others think of it as just a difference. Like, we all have differences. Some people immerse themselves in deaf culture and go to school with other deaf people, and they prefer to communicate with American Sign Language. But today, we're going to hear the story of one person, Cece Bell, who grew up deaf in a hearing environment. Cece came out to our New York studio for the interview. She wears hearing aids and she reads lips. Can I sit off to the side? We positioned the mic so that she could see my mouth. When I'm talking, um, you can you can move your face so that you can see me. Right, too. right, okay, okay. And then when you're right, talking, and then just right, okay, okay, that works. <laughs> Before we get to our interview, I've got to tell you something about the characters in El Defo. 
Cece drew them all cute and cartoony. They're people, like you and me, with different clothes and hairstyles, but their faces are bunny faces. Everyone's got these little pink noses and also big ears sticking straight up in the air. Rabbits have giant ears, um, and they can hear really well. So I sort of felt like the one rabbit in a big group of rabbits whose ears didn't work. This people with animal faces thing is something you see a lot in graphic novels and comics. Cece says she always loved drawing animals in clothes as a kid. And she says the bunnies in El Defo aren't just symbolic. They helped her out visually, too. Those big bunny ears made it so Cece had to draw her hearing aid cords going way up above her head. You know, like in a way that you can't miss them. Cece says that's how it felt in real life. Hearing aid technology has come a long way since Cece was a kid, and she doesn't have cords anymore. But back when she did, those cords made her feel really different from everyone else, like everyone was staring at her. So in the book, she really wanted to make her hearing aids stand out. Okay, so here's how Cece first lost her hearing. This is how El Defo starts. Back in 1975, when I was about four and a half, I got really, really sick, and um I was throwing up all over the place, and I can still remember the sofa that I threw up on and how much throw up there was. And uh, my parents knew that something was wrong, and um, I went to the hospital, and I was diagnosed with meningitis, which um, is a disease of the membranes of the brain. And I was in the hospital for two weeks, and sometime in that two-week period, I lost my hearing. And so... When I got home, it took a while for my parents to figure it out. But um, once they did, they went the route of getting me a hearing aid. And so that was sort of the beginning of a whole new phase of my life. Can you tell me step by step um, what it was like, what it felt like to lose your hearing as a child? I'm not sure that I was even that aware of it. I think um, in the hospital, I was much more fixated on um, when is my mom going to get back and and fear, just fear of being not at home, that I don't even think I realized it was happening. And it wasn't until I got that first hearing aid and they put it on I must have known that I had lost it, but it wasn't a feeling. It was just this must have been this gradual thing. But I remember weeks and weeks of walking around the house with my hearing aids, making sounds, trying to test it out, lots of clicking sounds. And I used to be able to snap my teeth together really hard, and I spent all my time snapping my teeth trying to figure out what was going on. So I think, if anything, it was a feeling of confusion, but not necessarily of loss. Can you describe the moment when you first tried on the hearing aid? Boy, I just remember the art. I just remember them turning it on and having sound again. And the words that the audiologist was saying didn't sound like speech. It was just this garbled gibberish which is actually what people sound like today, except I can lip-read them now, and then I hadn't acquired that skill yet. 
So um, it was just, you know, wait a minute, is this America? You know, what, what language is this coming out of his mouth? So it was, it was confusing. Are there sounds that you remember from before you were four years old that yes. you can't hear now? Right. The only, the only song, well, there's two songs that I remember. And one of them was um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, because my father would sing that to me when we would, um, he used to ride his bike with me on the back of it. And the very first page of the book is a sort of that memory of my father riding around town with me on the back of his bike and we would sing Twinkle Twinkle and then the other memory also a song was um and I think this was right before I got sick um I was standing on a chair in preschool singing Yellow Submarine because the album was on the record player there at school so but I don't know what it sounded like. You know, there, I wish there was this one little memory stored away. This is what it's supposed to sound like. But that's gone. And you have a hearing aid now. I do. I do. But you can't hear music? I can hear music. I can hear lots and lots of things with my hearing aids. But um, it's one of the things that's hard to explain to a hearing person. But um, all the melodies... All of that I'm getting, but I don't get maybe some of the clarity, mm-hmm. and I don't get, um, and this is true of hearing people too, I don't always understand the lyrics. I mean, you know, <laughs> sometimes they're, I've, I mean, I've never been able to understand the lyrics. I sort of imagine this like hearing music underwater. But so I'm kind of um, drawn to music that is, has really, beautiful, clear melodies, like the Beatles, like Paul McCartney's music, um, that sort of easy listening stuff that some people make fun of. I love. Um, so I get a lot of pleasure from music, but less and less as I get older. And I think it's because I'm losing more hearing as I get older. It's getting more and more distorted. Cece says that she loves albums that come with lyrics in the liner notes, which I've got to say, as a hearing person, that is something that I love, too. I can remember as a kid bringing my Richard Marks and Bangles cassettes with me on long car rides and memorizing the lyrics. Anyway, having the words written out helps Cece a lot in movies, too. In the book, there's a moment where your dad takes you to um, foreign films. Right, right. Because of the subtitles? Yes. (laughs) Did that really happen? Yes. (laughs) And I loved those movies. So we went to a lot of um, sexy French movies, <laughs> and I think my you? father enjoyed them on a different level. <laughs> but um, this was probably back in the mid-'80s, um, maybe around the time I was 13 up. We should talk a little bit about television. Yes, let's talk <laughs> television. about television. So TV. I love TV. Um, as a kid, I watched a lot of TV and um, and a lot of people, you know, frown on TV. But TV, for me, was kind of like therapy. Cece especially liked soap operas. The way they're filmed is the camera is always really close. They have close-ups. And they always spoke a little slowly, you know, Wanda, 
I love you. And I was always able to follow so much of it. But Cece says that even with the shows she couldn't follow, TV was fun because she'd just make up the words and the story in her head. She says that practice of making up words and pictures was good training for making graphic novels. Watching TV was also a good escape for Cece. She says that the people in that little box, they didn't care who she was. They didn't care about her hearing aid or if she could understand them or not. As you can imagine, making friends as a deaf kid wasn't easy. You know, it's very isolating, I think, is the main thing. Um, when you are in a group, when there, when there are three people or more, the deaf person is much more likely to be left out simply because he or she cannot follow the conversation. There are a bunch of scenes like this in Cece's book. Like when she's at a sleepover and the girls are watching a movie, or they're gossiping with the lights out so Cece can't read their lips, or they're listening to a comedy album. Oh, the worst. The worst. And so, you know, just imagine being with a group of friends. They put on a comedy album. You know, um, Monty Python was the rage then, and the whole room laughing, and you have no idea. It's just so difficult. And so that's the number one thing, just this feeling of I can't contribute. I can't say something funny or clever. Nobody's going to like me because I can't contribute. Um, so, But I think um, shy kids have a lot of those same issues, um, feeling left out, um, being too shy to pipe up and say something funny, you know, it's very similar to that. I, I had that. Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that's why the book has um, resonated so much more than I even thought it would, is because um, there are a lot, of, um, a lot of people struggling to connect with other people. It's hard. <laughs> From the book, it seems like there were also kids who made you their token deaf friend. Yes, yes. Oh, that, that's the other, yeah. I actually had a list going at one point where I categorized my friends into um, this person likes me because I'm deaf and this person just likes me. And the person who likes me because I'm deaf, it is that is this token, you know, look at me. Um, aren't I a great person? I've got this friend and she's deaf. Aren't I, aren't I special? You know, and that's hurtful. Um, like, well, I'm more than that. You know, I'm so much more than that. But the people who do that often would talk really slowly and really kind of obnoxious and it makes you feel stupid, you know, so that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you had a list of the people you could, you recognized as liking you because you were deaf, and then the and then on the other side, the people who just oh, liked yes. you. Yes, very easy to tell the difference. Um, and one of the main ways that it would come out is in introductions. Um, this is my friend Cece, and if that's all they said, hey, good. But if they would say. This is my friend Cece. She's deaf. You have to look at her when you talk to her, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, you don't really need to say all those things because generally I can figure out what people are saying, et cetera. 
But um, that's, that was a clear way of knowing who was who. Coming up, Cece's deafness gives her superpowers. Stay with us. <laughs> Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at we're back with writer and illustrator Cece Bell. When Cece started first grade, her parents got her a special hearing aid just for school. It was bigger and more powerful than her home hearing aid. It was called the phonic ear. And it was really, really heavy. And it was um, flesh colored. So it would blend in with my skin beautifully. And um, <laughs> it had these long plastic straps. And I wore it on my chest. And there were two um, two cords on either side. And at the end of each cord was a little earpiece. And so the earpieces would go in my ears. There was a microphone that went with the phonic ear for the teacher to wear around their neck. But the uh, microphone, I will also say, was also a little bit phallic <laughs> so, and flesh-colored. So as in, when I got older, I was always so embarrassed to even be handling it. <laughs> so it was like first day of school, you need to um, introduce your teacher to the phonic ear, give them right. the microphone right, so that you can hear them when they're teaching. Exactly, exactly. Every every first day of school from first grade all the way through college meant me going up in front of all the kids with this microphone, handing it over and saying, you know, my name is Cece. This is my setup. Here's what you're going to be wearing. So the phonic ear allowed you to hear things that other kids couldn't hear. Exactly, exactly. Like what? Um, I... Um, well, the, the point of it was to amplify the teacher's voice anywhere she was in the classroom. And basically, no matter where she was in the classroom, I was able to hear her as if she were speaking directly into my ears. So it always sounded like she was right beside me, even though she wasn't. And um, th- so the phonic ear made you feel like you had superpowers. That's right. That's right. What kind of superpowers? Soon after I got the setup, I realized not only was I hearing her in the classroom, but I could hear her anywhere she was in the entire school building. So um, if I heard her talking, 
she was probably in the teacher's lounge. She smoked, and so if there was a <coughs> she's in the teacher's lounge, um, I could hear her making Xerox copies in the front office. It was sort of this chukong, chukong, chukong sound. And um, the um, best thing that the kids enjoy the most is I really did hear my teachers even when they used the bathroom. And um, it was both horrible and awesome, <laughs> both of those things, um, to be able to hear my teacher in the bathroom. It was a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> horrible because, well, for obvious reasons, but awesome for moments like this one from Cece's book. So once she was on stage for a school presentation and she was supposed to sit perfectly still, then suddenly she hears this tinkling sound and flushing in her ear. Of course, she starts cracking up and nobody knows why. It's her own little inside joke. Cece spends a couple of years secretly spying on her teachers. She keeps this superpower completely to herself. She doesn't tell any other kids because she feels like it gives her an edge over them. Like when she takes off her hearing aid, she hears nothing. But with it on, she hears things that none of them could ever dream of hearing. She doesn't tell a soul about it till one day in third grade. I finally told um, the boy that I was had a huge crush on. I was trying to impress the boy, basically. Um, story of my life. No, <laughs> not really, but um, um, I was just trying to impress this kid that I wanted him to like me the way I liked him, and we started using it for evil. So here's what would happen. Cece's teacher would leave the classroom every day for 20 minutes, which, when you think about it, is a long time to leave third graders by themselves. But she called this 20-minute period quiet math. So basically what would happen is she would leave the room and she would always say, you know, please do your math, be quiet, behave, I'll be back in 20 minutes. At first, most of the kids would actually do their quiet math, but some of them wouldn't. They'd joke around, sing at the top of their lungs, throw paper airplanes, and then the teacher would come back and those kids would get in trouble. But when Cece told this boy that she had a crush on about how she could hear the teacher anywhere in the building, this kid, he realized the phonic ear could keep them from getting caught. They just needed Cece to stand guard. And on top of it all, they could party even harder. We had a 45 little record player in the classroom and kids were bringing 45 from home, like Queen. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Queen. Another one bites the dust. We put that on. The kids would put the records on. And, you know, try to use the maybe 18 minutes as, as much as they could, um, making origami, drawing pictures, running around the classroom, on and on and on. My job was to sit there and listen. And so I had, um, I had a lot of practice figuring out where she was. Um, I could hear her walking up and down the hallways, and that was important because we were in a basement classroom, and there were eight steps that led down to our classroom. And the sound of her shoes on the steps was different from the sound of her shoes on the regular floor. Um, that's how strong this microphone was. I mean, it picked up all these nuances. So it was sort of a higher, sharper clicking sound. So I would be listening for those 16 clicks. And so usually about 18 or 19 minutes into the 20-minute period, I would hear it. Click, 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 ah! So I would then stand up 
And the very first time I did it, I stood up and shouted, she's coming back, go back to your seat. But after a while, it got to the point where all I had to do was sort of stand up and just, you know, just give a little wave. <laughs> and everybody would run back to their seats, pick up their pencil, start doing math, like nothing had happened. <laughs> you were a badass. Yeah, so, yeah, baby. <laughs> and I was, you know, normally the most angelic child you could ever meet. I mean, I took school so seriously. I did not ever, ever want to get in trouble. I hated confrontation. But, I mean, this was my chance to impress a boy. So I went for it. Was he impressed? Yeah, he was impressed. Um, (laughs) I think so. And um, it was a great way for me to finally connect with my classmates and make friends and not be as ashamed of it because they thought it was cool. You know, when I talk to kids, it's true, and I think this is true of a lot of people. When you look back on your childhood, you'll remember a moment where what you did wasn't necessarily um, the right thing, or, or, you know, know, that was an example of me using the superpowers to trick somebody. But um, sometimes that is in the bigger picture, the thing that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to break the rules sometimes in order to get past something that's blocking you. In her head, Cece created a superhero name for herself, El Defo. How did you come up with that name? Okay, well, kind of crazy, but um, there was a... um, and you may remember this. You look very young. <laughs> I'm the, older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> the ABC After School Special was this weekly program that came on Saturday mornings. And it was the sort of um, the hallmark or the, the lifetime movie for kids. You know, this sort of corny, slightly corny um, you know, empowerment stories that I like to make fun of, (laughs) I'm ashamed to say. But one day I was watching it, and there was a deaf character on the screen, and I had never seen a deaf character on TV before who looked like me and had the same hearing aid, everything. And so I watched, and part of the storyline was a hearing kid called the deaf kid, Defo. And so... I had not heard that term, and at first I thought it was funny until I realized, oh, wait a minute, they're talking about me. Ooh. And so then I got angry, and I decided if I got used to it and called myself that, it wouldn't hurt if somebody else ever said it to me. Would you create stories in your head um, where you were El Defo? I sort of did. Um, I don't think I necessarily pictured myself in a cape. Or anything like that. They were more like um, revenge fantasies <laughs> and um, more like um, those moments when you look back over a conversation or an incident that happened and you think to yourself, oh man, what I should have said was this. But So El Defo would have the perfect comeback. Right, right. Always have the perfect comeback would um, just would do the right thing, say the right thing, um, kick people when needed, you know, that sort of thing, things that I didn't normally do. Yeah. In a minute, Cece talks about the benefits of being a deaf mother. Don't go away. <laughs> oh, boy. 
parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back with Cece Bell, who wrote the graphic novel El Defo. So over the years, I've heard from several listeners of deaf or hard-of-hearing kids. And those parents, they know they have choices to make. And those choices, I've got to say, sound so hard. So you can opt for hearing aids or cochlear implants to kind of restore some hearing for your kids, or you can bypass all of that and stick with American Sign Language, or you can do a combo of everything. This stuff can be really divisive, and I've even heard about friendships ending when a parent decides to get their kid cochlear implants. So I wondered how Cece felt her parents handled it back when she lost her hearing. I felt like they were terrific. Um... They were coming at it from a hearing person's perspective. Um, my, I have an older brother and an older sister and, and my parents, and they could all hear. And when I lost my hearing, their, um, I think their first thought was, well, how can we restore that hearing? So, you know, they made a decision to get me hearing aids. And... I think they were. I think they made the right decision because um, when I was when I lost my hearing, I was four and a half, and I already was able to talk. I already had a lot of experience with how communication worked, and if I didn't get the hearing aids, then I would have lost. I think all the groundwork that had been laid for me. So I think I know they made the right decision. And then they were, um, they were for- we were fortunate in that we were um, fine financially, so they were able to afford the hearing aids. They were able to um, afford the phonic ear for school. And I guess probably the best thing that they did for me was that they never said, oh, well, you can't do that because you can't hear very well. At some point, Cece's mom decided she wanted to add sign language to the mix so that Cece could have that skill if she wanted it. She had me go to some sign language classes at a church. And 
Um, I hated those sign language classes to my core because I was the only deaf person in the class. And so I felt like this little guinea pig. Everybody's experimenting on me. And I absolutely hated any time anybody would um, use sign language. I, I always called it sign language on me as if they were assaulting me. You know, Don't you use sign language on me. There's this great sequence in Aldefo where a girl is using sign language on Cece, and Cece imagines her as a mime. The girl is signing, Cece, you are special, which, you know, like no kid wants to be called special by another kid. What happened a lot growing up is I would have a conversation with somebody I didn't know. And we would be speaking for, you know, 10 minutes back and forth. I understand everything. I'm giving them answers in words, you know, back and forth. And then usually the person would pick up on my speech being just, you know, a little off. And so they would say, oh, are you deaf? I know sign. And then they would start signing, and I don't know sign. And it would just infuriate me because I have been here for 10 minutes talking to you and understanding everything you say. It drove me batty. You know, so that's where the kid me was coming from. But as an adult, I have a very, very different attitude about it. And I'm actually at a point where I really do want to learn how to use it. Cece says she knows just a handful of words in sign language, kind of like me in Spanish. So it can be tough when she speaks to deaf kids, but she also likes when they teach her words. She says signing is coming in more and more handy as she gets older and she loses more of her hearing. You're a mom now. You have two children. That's right. Mm -hmm. Two sons. How old are they? They are 12 and 10. Mm -hmm. And um, you were four when you lost your hearing. Was it hard for you when your kids turned four? Was that like an age that you were waiting yeah, for? Um, I, was, I was definitely aware of when they turned four, and, and specifically four and a half. I would always think, okay, this is the moment. What's going to happen? Um, but no, they hear really well. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, I think they both picked up a little bit on my speech patterns. So both of them have had to have um, speech therapy. So sorry, kids. Um, and they both really, really love listening to um, comedy albums. And even though when they put those albums on, I have no idea what's being said. I'm so happy that they are able to understand what's being said. And um, even a little jealous in a way, but relieved for them and um, happy that they don't have that particular um, loss. Cece says it gives her pleasure to see her kids enjoying something that was so painful for her as a kid. And also, it's different now. You know, she's not an eight-year-old at a party. She's a mom. And she can ask her kids to tell her what the comedians are saying. Sort of a delayed ha-ha, but <laughs> better than nothing. Does being deaf um, give you any superpowers as a parent? Um, yeah. Um, the ability to turn off the sound at any time is a fantastic skill. Um, my kids really never whined because 
um, when they were when they were younger, when the whining would start, and I hate whining, I would just turn my hearing aids off so that I could not respond to it. And so since they were being completely ignored, um, no problem. So um, I don't necessarily recommend it because something <laughs> bad could have happened, but it didn't. So yay, um, that's a big one. And um, I think allowing your kids to help you in certain situations, like um, I might say, I need you to um, listen carefully to this person that's so far away I can't hear them, and then tell me what he's saying so we can navigate our way out of in this whatever situation we're in. And that gives them so much power, and that empowers them. And um, they learn how to help me. They help me out so much. And I think that's a really good thing for them, a good skill, and uh, makes them better people. Yeah. Um, can your husband hear? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, are he the- can hear a little too well. He <laughs> has the opposite problem. He has ears that are so sensitive that they just drive him nuts. And um, sometimes we even talk about... Um, trading ears for a day. We've always, I've always wanted to say, you should see what I go through, and I would love to see what you go through. And are there um, parenting tasks that he has to do because you can't do them, or, or are things pretty equal? I think things are pretty equal. Um, he does have to make telephone calls. Um, he's the one that makes all the doctor's appointments and, um, and that sort of thing. There, there are times when I know that we'll be in a situation with a person that I might know that I just cannot lip read, maybe a person with a beard or a mustache, and so I'll sort of send Tom out and say, just go, <laughs> go and communicate with this person because I can't, but for the most part, it's very 50-50. So making friends as kids can be hard, making friends as a mom can also be hard. Oh, harder. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you found that to be difficult? Oh, just um, I still very much have the problem of um, a group of friends saying, hey, let's get together. We're going to the world's noisiest restaurant, and they don't have good lighting. Yay. You know, <laughs> and so, oh, do I, do I go and be um, maybe have a little bit of fun, but also be kind of miserable? Or do I stay at home and not be a good friend? But I still have those very similar problems. Writing the book in so many ways was not difficult because I have those experiences every single day. So it was very easy to summon it up and just draw myself as a kid instead of an adult. After my interview with Cece, I asked her to autograph my daughter's copy of the book, and I brought it home to her, which prompted Sasha to ask me to start reading it to her again for the third time. Why do you like it? Because I like when she hears um, the teachers peeing. Do you wish you could hear your teachers peeing? Yes. How come? Because that's really funny. I get it. The peeing scenes are fun. But there's so much packed into these 233 pages that I know each time we read El Defo, Sasha will get something new out of it. Like from the parts where Cece misbehaves. You know, when she helps her classmates raise hell during quiet math. 
or when she turns off her hearing aids at a sleepover when she's tired and her friend just won't stop talking. So every now and then, it is the right thing to do the wrong thing. I love that as a motto to live by. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We've got a link to Cece Bell's funny, charming, heartbreaking graphic novel, El Defo, at our website, longestshortesttime.com. Cece's next project is a chapter book series that she made with her husband called Inspector Flytrap. Her husband's actually a famous author himself, Tom Engelberger. He wrote the Origami Yoda series. The first installment of Inspector Flytrap will be out in August. We know that lots of you out there felt different from other kids when you were growing up. Go to our website, tell us how you handled it, how your parents handled it. And if you are hard of hearing or raising a hard of hearing kid, we would love to hear how your experiences are similar to or not at all like CC's. Leave your comment at longestshortesttime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 86. We've also got a transcript there, so please send a link to anyone that you know who's deaf or hard of hearing that you think would have something to add to the conversation. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Thanks also to our superhumanly fast transcriber, Valerie Caesar. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We'll be checking back in with one of my very favorite guests, All Things Considered host, Kelly McEvers. She'll be telling us what it's been like to come home after years as a Middle East correspondent. And just like oppressed by the niceness of LA, I think at first, like it was just, it was kind of disgusting. It was just like stopping with the blue skies. And the like the happy people. Don't miss this show. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us and write us a review. This helps us to rise in the charts and it helps other people to find the show. As always, we are looking for stories from you. You guys know what we like. We like the weird stuff. We like to be surprised. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Sarah Thayer. And I'm Susan Orlean. And nothing makes us happier than hearing what makes people cry. On our show, Cry Babies, we talk to comedians, musicians, writers, and other awesome people about what makes them cry. And sometimes we cry too. But it's the good kind of crying. Yeah. Therapeutic. Yeah. Like when Drew Drogi told us why he loves Dead Poets Society. When it came out, I, I loved English. I wanted to be an English teacher. I was obsessed with that whole world, and I boys right. boarding school. I thought that just looked so amazing. <laughs> also, like Robert Sean Leonard was like an actor, and you know, and I just thought that was such a that's such a fabulous thing to be. So, listen to Crybabies. Find us on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Stand up. You sing Earwolf. Yeah. <laughs> This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.